Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. During the course of the last year plus recording the Wheels Off podcast, wildly popular Wheels Off podcast, I have been lucky enough to interview all sorts of creative type people, musicians, authors, actors, comedians, sportscaster. I'm sure there's other fields and disciplines that I'm overlooking, but I have not yet until now recorded an interview with a magician. That's what this is. Michael Casey performs under the moniker Casey Magic. He hails from Raleigh, North Carolina. He does magic in a close setting, primarily, but he also does stage magic. He went out on tour for the second time as the opening act for the Old 97s on our recent holiday tour, and he slayed audiences all across the country doing large-scale stage magic. But... Where he does the most insane work is in close-up magic. And that's why movie stars, rock stars, billionaires fly him all over the place to do magic for them. So what you're about to hear is a man talking about magic. And that's weird. I get it. But he's an interesting dude. And he does a great job of communicating a lot of the processes that go into the making of that magic. Obviously, he is not going to tell you the secrets behind the magic that he does, but I think you will be fascinated by the stories about how he does what he does and the life that one must live in order to make this a reality. So I hope you enjoy this version of Wheels Off featuring the great Michael Casey, a.k.a. Casey Magic. Michael Casey, welcome to Wheels Off. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This is a real treat and pleasure, <laughs> and it's kind of weird because I've never interviewed a magician before. Well, yeah, but you've interviewed all so many creative types. And I do think that what you do, having spent time with you on tour, is mm-hmm. so incredibly creative. Thank you. Very artistic. 
Yeah, we get to share a green room sometimes, so oh, yeah, it, we, you get to see a lot of, we have a lot of great conversations. Well, so tell, tell me, for the edification of our mm -hmm. listeners, uh, what creative project are you working on at the moment, and how does it light you up? Well, I'm on tour with you, the, the old 97s, 97s. <laughs> and uh, I'm working my way up to, uh, I'm going to do the War on Drugs at the end of the month, cool. uh, open their hometown show, and then, did I tell you this? Uh, Chris Stapleton asked me to open his next record release at Bridgestone Arena. That's incredible. Right. And I said yes. Did you know it was an arena show when you said yes? Yeah. Do you know? When is it happening? I have no idea. He doesn't. Okay. He hasn't written I don't know when yet. this is going to air. It'll well, probably be after the War on Drugs show. Probably. But probably before, before the Chris Stapleton Bridgestone show. Bridgestone Arena. So you're preparing to do an, your first... I'm assuming it's your first arena, yeah. arena show. I've never done an arena show. <laughs> But I said yes. Like I think I feel like I, I've always tried to challenge myself to like create bigger and better things, or like try to figure out how things that I do can impact larger audiences. So, so we're out every night, and there's hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we, we might have cracked the four figures with you a few times. Um, so those are pretty big crowds, yeah. and you've adapted because the. The thing that you're best known for, the thing that I, I mean, I'm assuming this, uh, the thing that I knew you for first was your close-up magic. Yeah, the stuff that's my, that my favorite thing ever. You can do the front lounge of a tour bus or mm -hmm. in the living room a birthday party of some rich, famous person. Or Cheryl something. Crow. Cheryl Crow, <laughs> for instance. Which, which, how, how fun was that? Was so nerve-wracking. Oh, yeah? <laughs> like, all her, like, it was really funny because, like, Dirk Bentley is a really dear friend of mine. Uh-huh. And, um... They had texted me, and it was this really broken version of text. So I was like, hey, what are you doing on, like, Wednesday? We have a party for a friend of ours. And I was like, oh, I'm open. That's cool. And I met with my boss. And I was like, hey, I'm going to probably be in Nashville Wednesday. I won't come to work. And then... Because you have another job. Yeah, I have another job. I'm a I director. more people think you had a magic boss. Yeah, yeah, no magic. That would be awesome. <laughs> but um, uh, she was like, yeah, I take the day off. And uh, maybe, like, I take a shower... Uh, no, no, no. As I was having the meeting with my boss, I got a text, and they were like, it's Cheryl Crow's birthday. And I was like, wait, what? Like, in a day, I have, what is this? What is this all about? How many people are there? Like, what's this going to be? What's the situation? Like, I have to know what I'm coming into How many so I can there? prepare. Seven. Ah, I thought you were going to say 70. No. Seven. Okay. That's what I thought. I was thinking like yeah. 150 or 200 people. So you have to be like, how long is this going to be? And then, uh, and I was like, and I'm all like kind of freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do Cheryl Crow's birthday party. And then they text back and they're like, oh, it's only seven. You probably know some of them. Nicole Kidman, Connie Britton, Kim Paisley, Jesse Alexander. <laughs> it's fine. And I was like. It was like bombarded of like yeah. stuff. So like I got really like nervous because I have to go impress these people who impress people every day. But they are just people. They are totally just people. And um, so like when I come in to do my close-up set, which you've seen a few times, it took a little bit extra longer to introduce myself and like really get into the moment, you know. Yeah. And like, oh my God, it was so, it was so fabulous. Like Cheryl Crow tweeted about it, which I have a pinned to my Twitter. Nice. But uh because she was like, I just had a fantastic night. It was so great. And it's really nice to create those experiences. So transitioning from close-up magic to the stage, um, as you know, you've seen my set a bunch. Like, I try to 
transmit the intimacy of what I create close up on like a, a larger stage. Yeah. Um, so, so the close up stuff is mostly, car- it's, I've actually been quite nervous about what, how I was going to approach this with you mm-hmm. because talking about magic is weird. It's, it's about as tricky as it gets. Yeah. You know, because there's so much you can't say. And you can say whatever you want. Well, um, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming. That's sort of the whole <laughs> point. It's the, the mystery of it. Right. So with the close-up stuff, you're working with cards yeah. a lot of the time. And I'm assuming I love cards. that's where you started. Yeah. Like, when you, um, when you were really young... Was no, not like, really young. I was 21. Okay, so it I was... I was older for did, magic. Tell me about this moment. Was there like a moment where you were holding a pack of cards and? Oh, wait. Do you, you want the real moment or you want me to tell other other people? You no, I, I do. I would. I want the, the I real moment. Both? All right. Okay. What I tell other people is that like I've always had an interest in magic. Thought it'd be cool to do some tricks, to do the thing, and that's just easier yeah. than the real thing. The real story was I graduated college. I was twenty one. <clears throat> I was taking my first commercial airline flight to visit my friend in Minnesota. Actually, you know what? I think I should text him. But um, to go to Minnesota, and I was flying from Raleigh to New Jersey. Now, this is pre-9-11, so like, you could literally just walk in the airport and get on a plane. And um, I'd never flown on a plane. So I was really nervous. And my wife at the time was like, why are you so nervous? And I'm like, I don't know. I just have a really bad feeling about this. And she was like, oh, please. People fly all the time. You're just being silly. Like, whatever. And I got on the plane... And I was flying, and I was flying into Newark, and we were making a circle around New York City, and I'm like, is that New York City? Because I didn't realize how close they were. I'm a country person, right? <laughs> and so I look, and she was like, I was like, I think that's the Twin Towers. I was like, she, and this woman was like, no. I was like, I think that's the Statue of Liberty. Like, I, I could see all this stuff, and I had this calm come over me. So we're flying, and we're like maybe... 15 or 20 feet off the ground. Have I told you this story before? I've never heard this. You're, you're hearing it for the first well, time is now. Is this the story you tell people? I'm confused. No, this is not the story I tell okay, people. Okay, this is the real this story. This is the real story. Okay. So um, we're like, like to the tune of like, you know, you land in fields, so there's all this grass like, like going. Wait, hold on. The plane is crash landing? No, 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 no. It's just landing normal. Okay. But like, we're getting lower and I've never landed before. This okay. is my first flight, so I don't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, it's like, and then, the jets kicked back on, like hyperdrive. The plane goes like 45, 50 degrees straight up into the air, and it starts making these noises of metal, like grinding, and it starts going, and like so much that the luggage bins flip open and luggage is falling out, and people start grabbing the the vomit bags and throwing up. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm an Alanis Morissette cliche. I'm going to die on my first fucking time. That ironic song. I'm going to die on my first fucking flight. And I, and I remember reading, because I was so nervous about it, I remember reading, they're like, look at the flight attendants. If they're worried, you should be worried. And I looked at the flight attendants. They were totally worried. <laughs> and I was like, Great. oh my God, I'm going to die on this fucking plane. I knew. I, I was telling my, my wife at the time, I don't want to get on this plane. It's fucking crazy. Anyway, it righted itself when we landed, and the pilot, as we were landing, was like, I'm so sorry, there was this giant gust of wind that was coming, and right as we would have touched down, it would have tipped the plane over, we would have flipped over, we all would have died, or would have blown up. And I'm just like a nervous wreck. Now, this is pre-cell phone, so I call on the payphone my wife. I'm like, I told you this was terrible. And the plane almost crashed. She's like, oh my God, just relax, get a martini, 
that's crazy. It's whatever. So I got to Minnesota, <clears throat> spent it with my friend. And the last day in Minnesota, I found a magic shop. This kid was doing magic. And then I was like, just freshly graduated UNC Chapel Hill. And then I was like, oh, you can do this. There's a book. Just show me the book. I'll read the book. And then I read the book and I studied the book. Like I really like got really into this book. And because I had to fly back, I just shut the window shade and I just read this book. Like I just didn't pretended like planes didn't exist. And my first job, I ended up flying so much that like that became like a coping mechanism for me was to like learn magic. Do, can you tell me the name of that book? Um, now You See It, Now You Don't by Bill Tarr. Okay. It's a very basic magic book. If you're really into magic, you can get it. It teaches you all of like basic things. And, and that's still available. It's, oh, yeah. You can get classic. it at like Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's, it's a really great book. Because I know some of the stuff that you and other high-end magicians have access to is only accessible via passwords and oh, yeah. cryptic back channels mm -hmm. and that's limited stuff kind of pressing me books, yeah. Like there's limited pressing books. Like I have a book that they only pressed a hundred copies of, so I had to like advance buy a copy because I I'm familiar with this guy's work. And even though I don't know what's in the book, I just have to buy it to have it and to be the guy that. So I have a pretty giant. Lydia and I have a, like a giant library, which I would say like more than fifty percent of them are magic books. Yeah, because <laughs> I have a giant collection. So hold on, I just want to know when you were in Minneapolis mm -hmm. after that bad flight. Um, how did you wind up in that magic shop? Was it We random? were in the Mall of America. Okay. I'd never been. It was probably pretty new at that point. Yeah. Oh, it was totally new. And they had like all these like crazy t-shirt places like my governor can beat up your governor because Jesse the body venter was yeah, like yeah, the governor. Course. And like we were just walking a little bit further and it's a really interesting design from a visual perspective because it curves a little bit mm -hmm. really slowly. And so like Stores are only revealed to you like five at a time. So it's not like a long line of endless stores. It moves, curves. So you only see like four or five stores at a time as you curve through it. And uh, we walked around. I was like, magic store? I always kind of liked magic. That would be cool. And I yeah. went in the store. I actually want to go back and find the kid that did magic tricks for me and do magic tricks from now. Wow. And be like, you started this. You. This is the thing. But I probably... Well, actually, we're going back there. Wow. I'll... I'll go. I'll, Maybe we'll go. I'll go to all the magic stores with you in Minneapolis. Maybe we'll go. We go through next week. It was called the Magic Chest. I wonder if it's still in the Mall of America. If we, if we do, I have to go, and I'm just going to take a picture and be like, this is where it all began. It's funny. I have a lot of memories with my dad. Mm -hmm. um, as a little kid, we would always go to a magic shop in Dallas. Really? And, um, and I would just buy the little fake finger and all the, oh, yeah. the tiny little stuff. But I do think that there was a back room in that magic shop because mm -hmm. it was... It's it was a pretty serious magic shop and it stayed open for a while. That's a thing, right? Oh there, yeah. Like there is kind of a quiet underculture of mm -hmm. magic and magicians. It's kind of like there's two levels. There's like introductory, like mm -hmm. where you would see it, like maybe like a touristy spot. Or like just trying to get people introduced to magic, and it's kind of like they wait. The, if those hooks get in, mm -hmm. then you want more. They kind of can tell if you want more yeah. and like take you to the next level. If you want, we're going to Chicago. Yeah. Chicago has my favorite magic store, one of my favorite magic stores of all time. That has a really nice back room that's so full of history. Are you allowed to mind. see what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Midwest Magic. Oh, Midwest Magic. Yeah, nice. it's right by O'Hare. Um, so if you want to go, wow, like we could totally go. Sure. I know Ken will go. So the Ken, the old '97s guitar player Ken, 
is um, interested in magic and has studied it some and watches you. He watches you a lot. <laughs> it's really it's really sweet because he'll lean over to me and goes, I know some of what he's doing. I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was really funny. He was talking to me about it today yeah. uh, from the thing, and he was like, yeah, and then I got lost. Wow, I don't understand. Like, yeah. it was so funny. And I took him to my, my, my favorite magic store in Baltimore, mm-hmm. where I'm from, um, and he came, and he actually took a really great picture. It was really nice. It was so sweet, because Ken and Philip came mm-hmm. with me, and I took him to my favorite magic store. where They used to have a pig that, like, lived in the store, which was awesome, and then you used to smoke in the store. So, like, all these old, like, haggard Baltimorean, like, magicians, were, you know, and Ken was there, and, like, stuff, and I was, like, shopping, um, buying a bunch of stuff, and Denny, Denny and Lee's is the name of the magic shop, he was there, and Ken took this really great picture, and he sent it to me, and he was like, Denny's not looking so good, I just wanted to take this really great picture, this intimate, just, like, you weren't really paying attention moment, and then Denny had passed away, like, three months later, and I was like, I thank Ken for that, I was like, that was really nice of you to do that, because, like, he was a really important dude to me. Sure. It's funny, the, the... Um, the little I've been able to see into your world from being with you on tours and mm-hmm. hanging out with you and stuff, um, more than even music, but I think they have this in common, your world is one where it, there's a lot of a lot that's passed on uh, one-on-one. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of mentorship. Yeah. There's a lot of elders. Like oh, I yeah. think about like when I first befriended John Doe and the advice that he gave me. And I listen to you talk about these old magicians, and um, in a lot of cases, like really old dudes. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, I, I mean, how much is that a part of it? And when, when you were starting out, like, was there a moment where you realized, okay, I've got this great education, and I'm, now I'm getting deeper and deeper into this world. Mm-hmm. Like, when did you realize how serious you would be about it? Uh, I didn't realize I was serious. For a while. I, I was doing it for myself because uh-huh. I, I just did tricks for myself. I never really performed. For like eight years, I was just like trying to always fool myself in the mirror yeah. or I thought it was cool. And I never really performed. Maybe one off, like somebody wants to see a trick, I'd do, I'd do a trick. And then at one point, um, the person that owned the magic store in Raleigh, North Carolina was like, I was thinking about getting a second job because I couldn't afford having childcare and working and all this stuff. He was like, have you thought about just doing magic? And I was like, why would I do magic? And he was like, you're better than like anybody in North Carolina that I've ever seen. And I didn't know it because I just like did stuff for myself and my friends and stuff. And I went out and got my first job, which was a place called Maggiano's. It was an Italian restaurant. And I auditioned for them and they loved it. And they paid me like $200 for two hours um, to do a show every Friday. For like years. That's not and then nothing. When I, no, it's not nothing. And then I picked that up. And then this other restaurant wanted me. And then I went to them for more money. And then Camel Cigarettes came when they were like touring around. And I, I did like this venue show for like four months where we were toured around all these different venues. And that's how I actually got into the rock and roll thing. Yeah. Because I was doing this magic while this rock and roll thing was happening. And they were the facilitators of that. And then it just kind of kept going up from there. So it went from like doing a little table magic at a restaurant, like really honing my chops to like getting these bigger shows. Like I did, I did a show with uh, LA Guns and Faster Pussycat. Yeah. Do you remember those bands? Of course. Oh yeah. So great. And I was like, I'm on the fucking bill with like Faster Pussycat and LA Guns. Like this, <laughs> like that's so amazing. And so like, it just kind of grew from there, you know? And 
that I thought was kind of like integral to who I am today. Yeah. You know, it really showed me that like I could create a thing that didn't exist. Yeah. A, a magician in a space where music exists. And now I, I make this own space for myself because I think it fits. And hopefully other people do too. And now, now they do. They're very accepting of it. I'm interested in the idea of the double life that you kind of live. Cause, <laughs> well, because you also, you, you know, you've referred a couple of times to your job job. Mm-hmm. And, it, um, and it's a heavy duty job, right? Yeah. Like you're a medical researcher. Yeah. Almost a vice president. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So, but you've always had the flexibility to be able to take a couple of weeks off and go mm-hmm. on tour and, and you've made this a part of your life. Were you, I mean, has that been tricky to try and live yeah. both of those lives simultaneously or? Well, it was really funny because, um, well, I still work in full time while I'm on tour with you. Mm-hmm. So like every morning, you know, you probably yeah. hear my alarm go off cause I sleep underneath you. I don't, but that's but good. <laughs> I'm glad you don't. Cause like it goes off and then I like leave the bus and I go find a coffee shop and I start working and I'll work all day till like two or three and I load in, um, it's interesting because I think like the corporate world, I think people think in their life there's a pattern that they have to follow. Like one, two, three, like someone tells you to do something, you should do that thing. And I've been in the corporate world for 20 years now. Um, I've gotten fired from four jobs, but every time I've gotten fired from a job, I've got a job that paid even more than the last job that fired me, yeah. doing more responsibility to where I am now. And I feel like at a certain point, it's like, they need creative people like me. And my boss, who I currently have now, told me 10 years ago, he said, Michael Casey, he was like, this industry needs people like you in it because you're so creative and you're so different. He was like, but they also hate people like you. (laughs) And I I laughed at him. I laughed at him just like you did. And I was like, ha, that's so funny. They don't hate me. And then I got fired like two weeks later for like being super innovative. And so now I work... For the guy who told me that, yeah, <laughs> but um, but it's really great because I think the out of the box thinking. Because as a magician, you have to think about things from your perspective, the audience perspective, and the like technical perspective of performing that thing. But seeing those things as they're three separate entities as one one performance, yeah, kind of like nobody thinks about when you play music that like oh a G chord shape like this and you strum three or four times. That's the thing you do. But it creates a sonic of it. They don't even, people don't think about that, but that's what you're doing. You know, you're like changing chords and you're singing and you're keeping a time. I'm doing the same thing with magic. It's just with effects, you know. There's a lot that goes into it. It's funny. I kind of think that's fascinating because, and in the course of these um, wheels off interviews that I've done where I've talked Mm -hmm. to creative people, I haven't made an effort to really point it out. Um, but I think that there is utility in these conversations with creative people that can be applied to people in the business world, which is not something oh, yeah. I know about or think about. But I do think that people in the business world would do really well to interact with and hire more people that were creative and creatively minded. And would just listen. I, I listen to the way you describe the work that you've done mm-hmm. to learn to do magic. Yeah. Not to mention the work you've done in your actual professional job. job. But, um, you know, you work so hard every day yeah. on your professional job, your magic. And then I know you also push yourself to teach yourself piano. Yeah. You just like these, you, these kind of other, like you, 
you're firing on all cylinders all the time. And I, and I think that that is a hallmark of creative people in general. And I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think the business world and the corporate world is really lucky to have you. Oh, thank you. People like you. I think, I don't know. I, well, I, no, you're, you're exactly right. And I think here's the thing. It's like, and I tell people that I work with corporate wise, and it's really funny. They're like, oh, you're a professional magician. Or they don't even think I'm a professional. I do magic tricks. And then they realize <laughs> I do magic tricks for like on like a scale they can't comprehend, yeah. like for people they can't comprehend. And then they start to go, wow, you must be really good. How do you have time? And it's like, well, one of these jobs occurs nine to five, and one of these jobs occurs like nine to like two, right? Yeah. AM. And like, they're like, well, how do you do both? And I'm like, I don't know. It just seems natural to me. Like, but it's all the same thing. It doesn't, it's not, to me, they're not one and the same. It's just how you look at life. Yeah. And for me, like, I'm always afraid of dying. Yeah. Full disclosure. So I always feel like, why would you leave chips on the table? Like, why would you not do a thing? Like for piano, you know, you, you've seen me play piano a couple times, but like, um, like, why would I not learn piano? Yeah. Like, why, why not? Like, what's stopping me? The only thing stopping me is me. Yeah. And like, that's with magic. It's like the only thing stopping other people from being magicians is themselves because it's really hard work. And But if you put in the work, you can get to a place, you know? What's the only thing stopping from somebody from being a writer? Writing all the time. Like, yeah. it's like, it's the simplest Occam's razor of like, result, but it's the same thing. It's like, why are you so good at magic? It's like, all I do is fucking think about magic all the time. Yeah. But it also applies to every other aspect of my life, like whether it's piano or my job or whatever. Like all those things are integrated. So I, I think I've found a very unique way to tie them all together. Yeah. And that makes it good. Um, and I love communicating that to people who feel like they're like, I just have a day-to-day -day job and do a thing. And yeah. That's totally cool. And I'm not dogging anybody that does that. But it's also like maybe just step outside your bound. When you asked me to go on this tour... That was real. I've never been on a tour that long last year and this year, you know? And so like, it, it really pushed me to like, what would a good show be for old 97s <laughs> fans? Like, how do I construct a good show for old 97s fans or people who've never seen me? And I spent a lot of time like hashing that out and I do it now, you know? Yeah. And it's so fun. And I think part of it is just thinking differently than you don't, don't feel like you're ever put in a box because yeah. you're not. Yeah. The only box you put yourself in is the one you put yourself in. There's no boxes. There's no boxes at all. So you brought up the idea that you fell in love with magic and threw yourself into magic as sort of a way to deal with stress. Air, air travel, mm -hmm. stress, the fear of death. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I find this to be a, a, a constant... Uh, thing with people that are, are really creative it's it's so it's a coping mechanism yeah but like the healthiest possible coping mechanism 100 percent. and um there was a, a moment tonight we um to give the listeners the um picture of where we are we're at backstage at the tower theater in oklahoma mm -hmm. city and we just finished doing a show you opened the old 97s closed. and you guys crushed it I, yeah thanks so did you uh, <laughs> i took a shower already we're, we're about to get on the tour bus and leave but there was a moment at the beginning of your show tonight mm -hmm. where you had someone coming uh, that you had met in Nashville. Oh, I don't yeah. want to tell the whole story for you. But you had, you just acknowledged that there was someone in the audience that you had met uh, um, kind of randomly old, randomly uh, a few years back, an mm -hmm. older gentleman, and you'd met him and his wife. Mm -hmm. And that when he reached out to you that he would be at the show tonight, um, 
you you asked if his wife would be there, and he told you that she had passed away. Yeah. And you brought that up on stage tonight, right after you walked out and said hi to these hundreds of people in the audience. Yeah. And you're like, you know, wearing your headset microphone, and you're and every and I just made a big speech about how fun it was going to be. And you walked out there, and you had this moment where you acknowledged that he was in the audience. You told the story of having met them and that she had passed away, and you started crying. Yeah. And it was this really beautiful moment because. You're entertaining people. Mm -hmm. They're there to be entertained. We're all professionals at what we do, and we're having fun. But you made your humanity such a like an essential part of this. And I think that I think people get the wrong idea that what we do is like is such a job mm -hmm. that it doesn't involve our humanity. No, but it, you're, so, you're everything. Your explanation of what you do—it's all your humanity, yeah. right? I put everything I have on the line, like tonight. It was a really risky move for me to do that, but I couldn't stop thinking about it even before we went on tour, you know, and he had told me that and, you know, you know, in the quick rewind, like I was at John Prine's 70th birthday party mm -hmm. show at the Ryman. I'd walked out, the show had left, I was having a cigarette and I ran into this old couple who was lost in the alleyway between the Ryman and, and Broadway and they were looking for Broadway. And I was like, oh, you're just off by a thing. And I was like, oh, I'll just tell you this funny story. Hank Williams used to leave out of this exit and go right into here, this bar, Roberts. And after every show, and we walked in there, I was like, let me buy you some shots. They're yeah. like, who is this crazy person? I was like, oh, I just saw John Prine, and we talked about the show, because they went to the show, and uh, bought him shots of whiskey. I was like, you know, Hank Williams' whiskey, you know, thing. We do the thing, and I did magic for them, and they loved it. And she was so excited, and we took a picture together, and uh, and then I left them. Like it was just like a random. I just ran into these people that looked lost, and I tried to help them out. And uh, when he reached out to me, and I was going to be in Oklahoma, I've never played Oklahoma, and uh, my my person couldn't yeah. let that not be acknowledged because it was such a powerful moment for me to like that things are so transient and things are so um you can't hold on to them no matter how much you, you always think when you meet somebody oh you'll see them again and that's a really <clears throat> i'm not saying you should always be doom and gloom but like things like that can happen and it was it was really moving for me and when he came he was so excited and he took me to dinner, and we came hang out, and he was really excited to meet everyone and see the show, and he, he just had the, the best time, and um, I really wanted to acknowledge that in that moment, and, and it wasn't me trying to be vulnerable, it was me just trying to acknowledge that I care about everybody, like when I perform, and I give myself, but I'm also getting things from you yeah. all the time, and so you, you've seen my show, so it's like... I. Without the getting things from people, then there's not this exchange, and I want to create that exchange, and I really wanted to just, like, set that tone for, like, it wasn't even a tone, it was, like, I just really wanted to acknowledge that this thing was really affecting me and moving me, and I really wanted this to be a great show, um, and I think everybody got it, you know? Yeah, it adds a level of depth to the... To the performance, to the yeah. evening, to the interaction. Yeah, it is. It's an interaction. It's an interaction, and like people, I don't have amplifiers. People are my amplifiers. Sure. So when I have them on stage, I need them to just be themselves. I don't like. I'm the facilitator on stage. Like yeah. I do the magic, right? Yeah. But like, uh, I'm the facilitator for their thoughts and feelings and things like that. And I've tried to make a stage show that communicates those thoughts and feelings, which is hard. You're playing with people's emotions. Like you do it in a song. But then it's 
you know, a song, yeah. and they just follow along or they don't follow along. With magic, they have to participate. <laughs> so yeah. it's like you have to follow along, and you actually also have to follow along. Like yeah. you have to like, what's your lucky number? Oh, it's not forty-five; it's seven. Or yeah. <laughs> um. So I hope everyone listening gets to see your show at some point. That's yeah. impossible, but probably. Not. But but I would love for for that because I think that everyone. Just hard to know. It's hard to talk about magic. If if they see it, they would be like, "Oh my god, this is I could never have imagined this." But when they do see your show, they will see someone that's that seems very confident. Like you to be able to walk out on stage. Do you uh, feel like it's confidence? I do. Okay. Um, and I, I mean, you 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 also seem vulnerable and real and human and all those okay. things. But it's funny. Musicians talk about this. We talk about what we do is scary, right? But what stand-up comedians do, that's scarier because they walk out just with a microphone. But to me, like, I watch you and I think it's like stand-up comedy and there's a lot of lines and some of them are kind of scripted, but there's there's open for improv moments. But there's a level of risk that it is not existing. Oh, my God. So much risk. You have, I mean... You make it look really easy. Like, there's things that are happening where there's knives being thrown. <laughs> there's cards being stabbed by knives. There's, there's things. Spikes. There, yeah, there's, there's metal spikes where people are slamming their fists down. And, um, and these, are, these are tricks that have all and could all go wrong. Absolutely. I mean, there, there are mortal stakes in what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and for you to do all of that is incredibly brave. And while you do it, you seem very confident. But I know you well enough to know that uh and i guess we've just talked about this mm-hmm. there's i mean you you wrestle with stuff there's oh, yeah. there's things that are super hard for you oh yeah how do you how do you deal with the, with those internally generated obstacles like i'm a mess you, you see me like i have to like <laughs> i have to prepare like yeah. hours in advance and and slowly it's not like a constant like i've spent hours doing it but i have to kind of like engage with it and then disengage for a little bit let it stew and then come back to it and remember it's like, it's like um, I read this book, um, 60 Seconds or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, it's by this uh, really great author who writes a lot of um, stuff. And he was talking about self-help stuff. One of the things was like, you should stop a task before you do it creatively because your mind is always going to find the solution. So like if you were like writing a thing and you said, I'm going to write for five minutes every hour. And you write five minutes, and when five minutes goes off, no matter what you were doing, you have to stop. And when you leave for the other 55 minutes and come back an hour later, your brain is figuring all the stuff out that you wanted to write, but now it has a lot more time to do that, right? So, like, for my show preparation, I have to, like, I'll I'll make some things, get ready, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, stop. Oh, I have to get this thing ready. Okay, then I have to stop, and then I have to do it. So, like, every little secret thing is, like, curated like so much and I make sure it's so perfect. Like tonight's show was yeah. really, really good. But everything was like, you we were in here with me, right? Yeah. Like you saw me like kind of like, I'm sitting here and then I'm thinking and then I'm like working and then I'm like thinking and then I'm working yeah. and I'm thinking. Um, <clears throat> you have to kind of have that break. You can't just kind of like push through because there's like a drop off. There's a point which you're just working too hard sure. and then you stress yourself out. So when I'm on stage, I'm working very hard to make it look effortless. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because people are like, oh, you just get up on stage and tell a bunch of jokes and dance around. It's like, <laughs> now I have to play off these people. I have to like 
read them. I have to like move them around. I have to think about who's perfect for the next thing. What's happening after this thing? Like it's just a constant like in state. And part of it is just me just like babbling through that and like having fun with the audience and creating an atmosphere. I feel like magic's like I create this invincible tent which everybody can kind of get into. Yeah. And then when I leave, it just goes away. Like they're they're left with the like whatever falls on them that it goes away. But they're left with that. Yeah. Like and they I, they get to be like I, there was this created moment, and it's hard to explain. And the more people can explain it, the better I love my magic. Yeah. When they can't be like he was doing this thing, and then this thing, and I was like, oh my god, you just have to see it. That's what I want. Uh, it's exactly what I want from my shows. If well, he, I feel like that's so important in our world right yeah. now. Yeah, I feel like music does it in a way because it brings people together. Absolutely, it's experiential. But what you're doing um, can't be captured on a phone camera mm -hmm. video. It takes too long. It can't be just like you want. You would watch it on YouTube, and, and it wouldn't have anywhere near the same impact that it has in the room. So what you do in a, in a, by creating an experience where everybody's together having a moment, that yeah, is literally fucking magic. Yeah. You're making a moment out of nothing. Yeah. That's like to me, like when I look back on it philosophically as magic, right? Um, there's this guy, Paul Harris. He's a, he's a famous magician. He wrote a lot of these essays in one of the books I, I love to read, which is The Art of Astonishment, which you might could get somewhere, but it's great. Blow your mind. But he said, since you were born, you put everything in a box. Like you're like, oh, this is blue. This is hard. This is soft. This is what a dog looks like. And <clears throat> your whole world is built with these boxes that you put these things in. He was like, in magic, you take things from all those boxes, and then you now you show them to someone, and uh, suddenly they have a thing that's so indescribable they can't put it in a box. Yeah. And for like two seconds, maybe it's a second, all the boxes in their whole entire worldview go away. And that's the astonishment. That's what he talks about, the astonishment. All the boxes go away because you have a thing you can't put somewhere. You have no idea how to put that anywhere. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And maybe you come up with like, well, maybe he did this. And then all the boxes can come back because you make a box for it to be in. Yeah. But the longer you can just be in this moment where you have a thing that you can't put in a box. Yeah is a beautiful place. It's my favorite. My favorite part of my show is the touching trick. You've seen this yes. a bunch of times, where I yeah. touch one person, the other person feels it, they stand up, they raise their hand, and it's all, it's this crazy, existential, crazy thing, and it blows everybody's mind yeah. that I do it for. And it's and so subtle. It. <clears throat> it's so subtle. And I feel like it's, <clears throat> the beautiful thing about it is it's illustrative of, like, the the... The imaginary and yet super real connection that we all have between yes. each other. And how we're all connected to each we're other. All, this whole world is connected. And like I feel like when people meet, even like you and I, when we first met, when Lydia was selling you yeah. the Rickenbacker, yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. And you noticed probably, I don't know if you noticed, but I was really quiet. I, yeah. I was just like really letting you two have your moment together, you know, and like catch up. And you were asking me these questions. And I was like, oh, this is like kind of flippant. Like not flippant. I was just like dismissive you were like oh you must be really good at magic i was like no not really and then you looked at lydia and you were like he's really good isn't he and she was like yeah and but i was like for the record listeners um michael's girlfriend is uh wheels off guest lydia loveless oh, and i bought a boo. I, I bought a Rickenbacker from her. And that was actually the very first time I met was when I bought that my blue Rickenbacker. Still with the ri red ribbon i know i've never taken the ribbon you off shouldn't. it's just like in that story where if you with the, the neck ribbon, so yeah. yeah that's so it's great on the neck of the guitar and Lydia loves you, and like uh, she's such a great 
uh, partner to have in like life because she's a performer and she's amazing. Um, for a long time, she was really scared to date me because she thought I could actually read her mind. <laughs> so she was like, he's thinking what I'm thinking about him. And like, she had all these like really funny hangups about uh, dating a magician. It was kind of funny. It is a little crazy because it's hard, even, even knowing you as long as I have, what, when I watch you do, especially some of that close-up magic stuff, it's mm-hmm. just hard not to think that you're a witch or a Satan or just something <laughs> like this is not right. Paganistic rituals. Yeah. Yeah, I um, know. I love it because like, I love the, um, part of, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like part of like when I create, um, people follow dogma and uh-huh. they follow ritual. Yeah. And so I like a lot of my magic to be ritualistic yeah. in a sense, not, not like holy, like, Oh, like, killing small children or anything or goats or whatever, but like ritualistic in the sense that there's a procedure that things need to happen and you can define them what that is. So like defining a procedure for people that they follow that they're, they're kind of, it's almost like you're like, look, a plus B equals 27 ducks. And they're like, wait, what? That's, that's magic, right? Like, it's like, I'm getting you into this dogma of like rhythm and then we're here and then it's different. You know, like when we did uh, last tour with Kyle Kinane, yeah. my favorite. Did you listen to that Pioneer Town podcast? Yeah, they loved it. Oh, my you. God. He went off. It was really funny. They had, like, differing opinions. But it was so much fun. There's a great Did- Boogie Monster episode yes. where, where Kyle uh, and Dave go off about Michael <laughs> doing magic for them in Pioneer Town. In Pioneer Town. And, like... Kyle's like so he's like real. He's real. He's real. He's so real. He's like Dave's like, I don't know. It was like he's tricky. He's just good with his hands. And it's funny because they're they're both right. Yeah. You know, they're both right. And they're just seeing the same thing from two different perspectives. And I really love that because Kyle is the kind of person I really love to perform for. You know what I mean? Like somebody who just really just wants to be there. Screaming. Be in a world of magic. Oh my God, who doesn't want to be there? Like, who doesn't want to, like, have wonder in this world? And, like, with technology, that's where I struggle because, like, magic's so arcane, so ancient. It's been around for longer than many things. And now with technology, people think they know everything and they feel like they understand the world much better, but they actually understand it way less because it's less personal. It's more like this technological view of what it is. So what I love about magic and the reason I don't like to put up videos is that I want you to experience it in person. Yeah. I'll never put up videos. I stopped doing it years and years ago, but I wanted this experience. You can't capture the video video experience. You just can't. It's not the same as me being in a room for 30 minutes, this five minute clip. It's just not the same. Yeah. And um, that's kind of like lost. It's kind of like live music. Yeah, you can listen to CDs all you want to. It's not the same. There's so many people that see you like play and they're like, I love when they play Time Bomb Live or like Doreen or whatever. And like the live is just so much better. And it's like, that's like magic. Live, it's so much better. You can watch it on TV all you want. Yeah. Live is so much better. But this comes up a lot too. The the illusion of intimacy that technology creates Mm -hmm. and it sort of pushes out. Yeah. Um, This may be a stupid metaphor, but there's a thing where if you, you know, you take helium in to make yourself talk funny. Oh, yeah. But if you take too much helium, your body thinks it's oxygen, and so you actually strangle or you get oxygen deprivation because you're just taking helium in instead of oxygen. But it's that same thing. It's like that's what the technological technological intimacy is. Mm -hmm. It just fills up the void where you're like, 
wait, this isn't filling me at all. Yeah. Um, we were talking about that today and it was like, you know, people like are on their phones all the time. But if you ask anybody, uh, how do you feel about your phone? They all hate it. And it's like, but they're on it all the time. <laughs> so it's this really like it. controversial, <laughs> like uh, convexing kind of like thing where it's like, yeah, I love this thing, but I also fucking hate this thing. Yeah. So it's like, for me, like doing magic shows and being invited to do this tour with you is like, maybe I can bring a little bit of that disengagement yeah. away from your like normal life and you can just be in this moment yeah. for this evening just for this moment like I feel like I do I feel like that with rock shows yeah. when I go to rock show I'm I'm here for this moment I'm not trying to film it I don't care like yeah. I just want to like drink it in you know I just want it the I want the music to move through me and in me and out of me and I feel like when I create a magic show I want that to say to be the same thing it's yeah. like I, I don't do it sonically I do it with like feelings and emotions but like it's the same thing. It's like yeah. I want people to feel these things, and it's been so great. Like tonight, yeah. people were coming up and going, "Oh my god, that was so amazing! That's... How did you do that?" And like the poor people on on stage are now celebrities because they're getting pulled off yeah. by people going, "Wait, are you in on it?" And they're like, "We have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea." You know, and so like I think we need more of that. It's a personal thing. Yeah. It's a personal interaction thing, and I think you guys do it. We do it. Yeah. It's well, it's sweet. It's a tacit instruction in being here now. Yeah. Being present. Being present. It's um, a mindful. So if you could go back to young you, 21-year-old you, but working oh. in today's world, living in today's world with all the technology and all the stuff, um, what advice would you give yourself? Don't listen to the naysayers. Yeah. Honestly. Because I was 21 when I started Magic, so it's really funny. That would have been a very defining moment in my time. I don't know if you picked that number out of the thing, but that's when I took the flight. That's when I did everything. Yeah. And after I got back, my my wife at the time, ex-wife now, was like, magic's so stupid. Why are you doing this? And, like, if I had listened to that and, like, listened to all the other people, I wouldn't be here now and doing the amazing things that I'm doing with my whole life. And it's kind of like, there's a sadness in it for me in the sense that I think, like, people are so self-defeating a lot of times. And you can listen to the world and it can beat you down, and you can, like, get in your own head about it. But I also feel like um, being in that moment and understanding that, like, if you really believe in something, you should just try it because failure is better than not trying at all. Yeah. You know, like, um, I don't know if you know this, but do you know the FedEx guy? The guy that run, owns FedEx or created FedEx? Uh-uh. He wrote the thesis for FedEx as his part of his thesis business Thing, and he got a C minus on it when he was young, right? Right. Yeah. So the the people of the world who are business people told the guy who created FedEx when he wrote it first down. Never this was like a young kid, like hey, this is what I think could work, and they were like, this is stupid. You should never do it. And he did it anyway. And he's the most richest person in the world. And wow. I think that's like a shining example of like everything about the creative world. It's like you don't have to listen to those people, you know? So I would say that to my 21-year-old self, you don't have to listen to the people that laugh at you. My own family laughed at me when I was doing magic. They were like, this is so silly. But I'm like, now I'm like, look at me now, you know? It's yeah. like this This is what it gets. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't stop, but I would really like convince myself. There's so many times I wanted to stop. I'm like, yeah. this is stupid. It's pieces of paper. Who gives a shit? Whatever. And I want to be like, you're going to like hang out with like all the people you see on TV. Like you're going to love what you do. You're going to love what you do. Yeah. It's going to like become part of you. Um, 
But yeah, I would say that. It's the stories of Stephen King's rejection letters all yeah. pinned up around his office. And you, same thing. Totally the same thing. It's crazy. It's crazy how, how often people want to share their fear with you, right? Yeah. But uh, I'm really glad you didn't listen to them. And I'm glad that you've devoted yourself to doing something that was so unlikely and so... Different. Cool. <laughs> thank you. I think I, I, thank you that it's cool and beautiful. Yeah. Well, I think it's cool and beautiful, but it's like trying to express that to other people. Like, I hope it, it always. It is really hard to talk about. I think yeah. you've done a great job on and during this interview. And uh, I keep wanting to say, like, explain some tricks and stuff, <laughs> but that we can't do that. Well, but I, I will say, anybody listening to this, if you are interested in doing magic and you ever run across Michael. You you like it when people walk up to you, oh, yeah. young budding ma- magicians who would maybe want to talk to you. Pick, oh, ask you. I love it. Just hit, actually, hit I went uh, next door uh, yeah. when I got done, and all these bartenders were in there, and they're like, "Can you show us a magic trick?" So I all showed them a magic trick. They're like, "We are going to make so much money." So I like I love teaching. <laughs> if you even just want to learn one for a party, because that's where I started. Oh, you my know? God. Learn one for the party. That you can do, that you fool your friends hooked. with, and then you're hooked, and then you will learn two, and yeah. then you learn three, and then you know like a thousand. It's like oh, crazy God. obsession. Well, I hope everybody gets to see you, and I'm so uh, grateful that I got to talk to you today. I'm so, you so grateful much. you had me. Thank you for having me out on your tour. Yes. I love touring with you. I think it's amazing. More. Always more. Always more. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 20. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.